Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Hey Pocky Away by the Youngstown musical project known as Larry Alafonte. This diverse group of talented musicians is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight. So hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you a little bit more about them and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, stoke that fire, campers. It's time for a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our researcher and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, who spent an award-winning 30-year career at the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. We don't often have an episode you can follow up with an in-person visit, but this time, the timing is right, because tonight, we're going to talk about the history of an infamous site in Chillicothe the very ground of three executions in the 19th century. And it happens to be a stop on the upcoming Ghost Walk, a September 17 event that is a fundraiser for the town's annual Halloween festival. So ghost hunters, take note. If you're anywhere near central Ohio later this month, we're going to give you some historical background to make the most of your visit. And if you can't go, then sit back and enjoy this fascinating piece of Ohio history. Now, Chillicothe isn't just any city. In 1803, it became the new state of Ohio's first capital. Its public square was home to the state house. Just imagine the movers and shakers and the exciting plans for our state being made right there. But in other ways... Chillicothe was also just a city with a couple of thousand residents and everything that comes with a community, including crime. Our story is going to focus on the Ross County Archives Building, which sits on the square. The Archives is what it's called today. But back when it was built in 1878, The two-story red brick building was the county's third jail on that site. This state-of-the-art 19th century prison held 18 cells and included a residence for the sheriff and his family, which was pretty customary back then. Actually, the county sheriff continued to live in that building all the way up to the 1960s. Now, right next to this building, on a patch of soil, the county executed three men, each convicted of murder. Each time, the doomed inmate was led from his cell to make the short walk to a temporary gallows that was built for the rare occasion. So, if you attend the ghost walk later this month, keep an eye out for one of these guys and let us know if they show up. We're going to tell you about Edward Stallcup, Henry Thomas, and Perry Bauscher.
I'm sure Edward Stalkup never intended on holding this unique status, but he holds the distinction of being the first man ever executed by the state of Ohio. Stalkup was a native of Virginia who had found his way to Ohio and settled in the Scioto Valley. He lived with his wife and his kids in P.P. Township. And yes, there's a P.P. Township. It was named for the P.P. Creek, which I hear got its name because some early settler etched the initials P.P. into a tree near the creek. At the time, P.P. Township was in Ross County. It was later redrawn to be part of Pike County, which is what it is today. In the final days of December 1803, just as Ohio was ending its first calendar year of statehood, Stalkup had an argument with Asa Mounts, a man he suspected was sleeping with his wife. Now, here's what we know about the scene of this argument. They are in a house, and Asa Mounts is lying in a bed. We know those two things for sure. Given what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to guess that maybe the house was Stalkup's family home and the bed was his own. According to Stalkup's own confession to Sheriff Jeremiah McLean, Stalkup kept asking Mounts a question as the man lay in the bed. Mounts refused to answer. The question was never published, but I'm going to say it was probably something like, Did you just sleep with my wife? Anyway, Mounts refused to speak, which marked the end of any patience Stalkup might have had up to this point. He told Mounts he would ask him one more time, and if he didn't answer, he was going to kill him. He aimed a loaded rifle at him to make his point. Stalkup repeated his question, whatever it was. Asa Mounts did not answer. So Stalkup pulled the trigger. He ended the life of Mounts, and with that one flash of testosterone, he actually ended his own, because Stalkup was found guilty of murder the very next day and sentenced to hang on August the 3rd, 1804. As the day of execution drew near, A scaffold was built next to the jail. Now, that was the first county jail on the site. It was pretty much a log cabin. Being the state's first hanging and the announcement that it would be public, there was quite a bit of excitement. On the big day, a large crowd gathered to watch Stalkup swing from the rope. One week after his execution, a woman named Elizabeth Stalkup married a man named Lewis Coleman in the adjacent Adams County. Historians suspected that this was probably Stalkup's wife, though they couldn't prove it. I also found a Stalkup family website that said the hanged man's children eventually moved west to Wisconsin and resettled there. Ghost hunters, however, wonder if Stalkup himself could not move on. They say they have experienced paranormal activity in the area, disembodied voices, wispy figures in the night. But Stalkup isn't our only candidate for a ghost.
Another possibility is that the local apparition is Henry Thomas. Thomas went by several aliases. That probably tells you a little about the kind of life he led. But we're going to stick with Henry Thomas, with apologies to the child actor who played in E.T. For this murder, we're going to the hamlet of Bourneville, a crossroads in Ross County's Twin Township. It was just after midnight on November 19, 1844, when Thomas and a friend named Leroy Maxson decided to burglarize a local store. Unfortunately, the store was not empty. A man named Frederick Edwards, a relative of the store owner who worked for him and slept in a back room, heard the intrusion as Thomas and Maxson crawled through a broken window. Frederick confronted the invaders, but he was outnumbered and overwhelmed. He was stabbed multiple times, twice in the chest, once in the stomach, and 11 times in the back, which made authorities guess he had been trying to crawl out the broken window when his assailants refused to let him go. Frederick's fingers had almost been cut off. They bore terrible cuts from where he had tried to reach for the knife. There was also a trail of blood throughout the store, leading detectives to believe he was still alive when the burglars left and that he had attempted to get help for himself before losing consciousness and bleeding to death. Frederick Edwards was well-known and widely respected. He was a native of Ireland and had lived in Ross County for 20 years. At his funeral, a huge contingent of local residents sent him off by marching him to his final resting place. I couldn't figure out what evidence led investigators to Henry Thomas and Leroy Maxson, but that's where they ended up a few weeks after the killing. Maxson was arrested first, but he got some valuable help from a friend. A woman who was never identified smuggled some tools to Maxson, and he and another inmate, a counterfeiter named John Hunt, escaped the jail. This was the second jail that had been built on the site, replacing the old log cabin. The two men were never seen again. It took longer to find Henry Thomas. In February, three months after the killing, the state legislature even passed a resolution to offer a $1,000 reward for his capture. I gotta believe that was exceedingly rare for the state to offer a reward. Whether that helped or not, they did catch him. Police found Thomas in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and hauled him all the way back to Ross County. His trial began Christmas Eve, 1845, and ended the day after Christmas. He was found guilty. At noon on March the 6th, 1846, Thomas was led from his cell to a private enclosure built next to the jail. Reportedly, he spoke a prayer, mounted the steps, and Sheriff Charles Martin operated the trap lever. Nobody got to see this. The state had stopped allowing executions to be viewed publicly. But that didn't stop the townspeople from trying. They turned out in such large numbers, the concerned officials called for six companies of local militia 
to make sure everyone behaved. The gawkers were disappointed, but apparently order was maintained. So the presence that people feel around the archives building could be Edward Stallcup or could be Henry Thomas. But actually, the most popular choice for the ghost who dwells here is a very, very bad man named Perry Bauscher. A psychopath, really, who may be doomed to spend eternity in the basement of the archive building for good reason. The 30-year-old Bauscher was the first inmate ever to be incarcerated in that building, which was the county's third jail on the site. Bauscher lived in nearby Coleraine Township, and when he was arrested in 1878 and convicted of murder, he really thought the county would give him a pass. No way would they execute the jail's very first prisoner. That would be all kinds of bad luck, the suspicious man thought. But execute him they did, and here's why. Just after 11 p.m. on October the 26, 1877, Bowsher broke into the home of Edmund and Anne McVeigh. They were an elderly couple, both in their 70s, and they were the keepers of the toll house on the Columbus Turnpike, about five miles north of Chillicothe. In addition to collecting tolls, they had a small grocery store in the front of their home. It's possible Bowsher targeted them for that reason, or it's possible he had somehow learned that the McVeighs were avid savers and had nearly $1,000 worth of government bonds. On that night, the McVeighs confronted Bowsher after he caused a commotion breaking into their home. Bowsher shot Mr. McVeigh dead immediately, then backed Mrs. McVeigh into a chair where he leveled his gun at her chest and pulled the trigger. Bowsher never saw the third person in the house that night because sleeping in another room was Alice Dean, a 13-year-old girl who lived with the couple. Some reports called her a domestic servant. Other reports said she was really more like their adopted daughter. Young Alice heard the gunshot that killed Mr. McVeigh. Then she heard Mrs. McVeigh say, Oh, dear Lord, pray for me. That's when she heard the second shot that took Mrs. McVeigh's life. Alice quickly crawled beneath her own bed to hide. The killer came into her room. She watched him walk about, ruffling through drawers, shooting open the lock of a bureau, and pulling out the book that held the bonds and some cash. After he left the room, Alice crawled out and saw through the open door that he had gone to the kitchen where he made himself a sandwich. Alice took advantage of his distraction to crawl out of a window and run to a neighbor's house. When Bowsher was done with his late-night snack, he set the house on fire. Alice had seen Bowsher, but she didn't know who he was. That revelation came two weeks later, when Bowsher was visiting his brother in Hocking County. 
Bowsher had flashed some of his loot to someone who went and told his brother about it. When the brother asked about it, Bowsher showed him the government bonds and said, yeah, he'd won them in a poker game. Unfortunately for Bowsher, his brother had heard about the McVeigh's murders and the theft of their bonds. The brother enlisted the help of three other local farmers in Hocking County, and together they arrested his brother and transported him back to Chillicothe. The bonds were proven to belong to the McVeighs. Bowsher already had a criminal record. He'd been sent to the Ohio Penitentiary a few years earlier for horse-stealing, and while he was there, he exhibited such a violent behavior he was transferred to the Athens Lunatic Asylum. From there, he'd escaped. After Bowsher was sentenced to death, he continued to exhibit violent behavior. He attacked his guards and had to be placed in solitary confinement for the rest of his stay. He never stopped proclaiming his innocence. At 11 a.m. on June the 21st, 1878, Bowsher refused to walk to his death. He had to be forcibly carried to the private enclosure that was erected between the jail and the courthouse. Like Henry Thomas, he was hanged out of public view. But again, there was a large crowd hoping to get a peek of something. And to satisfy their macabre interest, Bowsher was placed in a black coffin and then left on the square for a time, for anyone who wanted to gawk at him. Afterward, he was buried in a pauper's grave, but one day after he was in the ground, he was back out. Grave robbing by medical professionals was common at the time, and his remains were quickly salvaged and given to some surgeons for study. I found one report that said the doctors who autopsied him reportedly found something strange in his brain, that might have accounted for his insanity. So, the ghost walk that I mentioned at the start of this episode is September the 17th, and it features four downtown Chillicothe buildings. It's just 10 bucks a person, and the money helps the town put on their annual Halloween festival, which takes place October 7, 8, and 9. For tickets, visit ChillicotheHalloweenFestival.com. By the way, this is not a sponsored episode. We're plugging this event because we thought some of you might like to go. And if you belong to a group in another community planning some kind of Halloween-related event and you've got some authentic history for us to sink our teeth into, please write us at feedback at OhioMysteries.com. We'd love to share it with our listeners. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Larry Elefante is the moniker for Michael Retuchin and an array of regional music talent that he brings together for a sound they call Back Porch Soul. Tonight's featured song was originally recorded by the Meters, but it's now one of six classic New Orleans songs on the Larry Elefante album called King Cake. They made it for this year's Fat Tuesday celebration. 
band members recorded their parts of the song during the height of the pandemic. They did it in their individual kitchens, home studios, living rooms, even bathrooms. Then it was all mixed together by Eddie Ashworth. So here's who's playing on this track. Sherelle Orocho is on lead vocals. Dallas Craft and Carrie Ann Retushin on backing vocals. Ren Fenton on drums. Josh Wicker on bass. Jacob Reed on percussion. Brian Turner on piano. Nick Zubin on lead guitar. And Michael Retushin on guitar. You can follow Larry Elefante on Facebook or go listen to their music on Bandcamp, YouTube, or Spotify. And by the way, we love featuring Ohio musicians on our episode. If you're a musician or part of a band, write us at feedback at ohiomysteries.com and let us share your music with our listeners. It's really very easy. We just need you to make the first move. So here's the rest of Hey Pocky Away. Enjoy, and we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Yeah.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.